Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. With much more on President Biden's upcoming address to the nation, I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll be here right back tomorrow night. Hope you will be too. On the program tonight, just say it. Don't. Don't, don't, don't. That country has a name. It's called Iran. He's called the Ayatollah. Tonight, will President Biden even name the real enemies of the United States and Israel? The clown car rolls on. Republicans don't have a speaker. They don't have a plan for a speaker. And the backup plan fell apart. Why should Americans even begin to trust them with this kind of dysfunction? Cause and effect. Tlaib crosses over from pro-Palestine to pro-Hamas. And kids take notice. The danger from a stunning lack of moral clarity in America. Where are the parents? Imagine if scenes like this were met with $5,000 fines for each parent. Will that clean up our streets? And America's army is growing in all the wrong ways. You might have noticed I've uh, got a slight weight problem. No. Yeah, I do. They say an army marches on its stomach. I'm going to walk out of here a lean, mean fighting machine. We are one hour away from President Biden's Oval Office address, and the stakes are high. Our friends are watching. So are our enemies. With that, we welcome you to The Ferris Show on television. First tonight, will President Biden say Iran? And will he provide moral clarity about the hate pouring out on America's streets? As we've told you over the past 10 days, what a president does not say is almost more important than what he does. First, we'll deal with the issue of Iran. Late this evening in the Persian Gulf, Iranian-backed militias in Yemen fired on the USS Kearney. That doesn't happen without orders from Tehran. There were perhaps three or four missiles launched. It's one of several attempted attacks on U.S. troops in the past 48 hours, all by Iranian-backed militias. In addition to loyal forces in Yemen, Iran literally rings Israel and American bases in the Middle East. State Department told Americans to leave Lebanon because of threats from Hezbollah, 50,000 fighters, 150,000 precision-guided missiles. In Iraq, Iran-backed militias send suicide drones towards two U.S. bases. Hamas and Islamic Jihad control the Gaza Strip. And, of course, Syria's chemical weapons are available to Iran whenever they want. There are U.S. bases in Syria as well. 
Yet over the past 10 days, on multiple occasions, President Biden has refused to even say the word Iran. My message to any state or any other hostile actor thinking about attacking Israel remains the same as it was a week ago. Don't. 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 Don't or what? Don't hurt our hostages or what? And speaking of hostages, speaking of the 250 that Hamas holds, the 30-plus Americans that are there inside Gaza, the one person ultimately deciding whether American hostages live or die is the Ayatollah of Iran. President Biden won't say his name either. Let me assure you, for me, as the American president, there's no higher priority than the release and safe return of all these hostages. So that's the standard when it comes to Iran. It's, of course, a very different standard, and we will hear that tonight, than when President Biden talks about Vladimir Putin. We gave Putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. Whether a dictator declares war and commits genocide. And- I think he is a war criminal. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. Putin attacked Ukraine. Under Iran, Hamas killed 31 Americans in Israel while now holding at least a dozen hostages. Iran is responsible for four different attacks on U.S. forces in just 24 hours. Taken in total, Iran and its proxies have killed hundreds, if not thousands, of Americans over the past couple of decades. Yet President Biden will not address them by name. And that's closely linked to his lack of moral clarity about the hate pouring out on America's streets, in our universities, and even our high schools. What they're chanting at a high school in San Francisco is not about settlements in the West Bank or a ceasefire. What you just heard them chant was from the river to the sea. Here's a map to show you exactly what that means. That means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, Palestine will be free. There is no other way to read that statement or to hear that statement or for Jewish kids in those classes to hear that statement than the eradication of the state of Israel. We have been told over and over and over again about people's right to feel safe, a safe space. So just imagine being a Jewish kid in that school. Let's turn around the argument for a second. Just think about what would happen if a similar march demanded kids use the bathroom of their biological sex. What would we hear from the president and the vice president then? It's not just a high school in San Francisco, of course. It's in cities all over America, from Dallas to Dearborn. Those same signs that call for the murder of Jews, is on college campuses around America. But as we have seen, President Biden shows no interest in naming and shaming those involved, perhaps because some of the leaders are members of his own party. Here's Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib yesterday. I want him to know, as a Palestinian American, as also somebody of Muslim faith, I'm not going to forget this. And I think a lot of people are not going to forget this. And it's not, it's not, it's not, Well, threat or not, President Biden will not condemn her tonight. He won't speak to those spewing hate and calling for the murder of Jews on America's streets. We know that because over the past 10 days, he has gone out of his way to create a moral equivalence 
between slaughtering Jews and some abstract thought of Islamophobia in America. Folks, we have to reject hate in everything. Because history has told us again and again, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. Oh yeah, it, it's all the same. A thousand plus dead Jews murdered by terrorists in the name of anti-Semitism, it, it's all the same. For so long, the left in America required moral clarity on everything. They required the naming and shaming of all things offensive. The creation of safe spaces for all. Ukraine must be supported at all costs. And failure to do so made you complicit in the violence. Yet Iran sponsors the largest one-day slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, and President Biden won't say their name. America's streets fill with people celebrating that slaughter, Members of his own party condone it, and President Biden says all hate is the same. As we've told you over the past 10 days, what a president does not say is almost more important than what he does. That's on point tonight. Tracy Walder and Laurier Watkins will be with us about those supporting Hamas in a minute. We start with Elbridge Colby, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Strategy Force Development, founder of the Marathon Project. It's good to see you. Um, nobody had this on their 20. Uh, 23 bingo cards. So it, the, the way things have changed over the past two weeks is stunning. Let's be fair about this for a second. Is there a good strategic reason to not use the word Iran? Well, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's it's very likely, well, and I think it's essentially a certainty that Iran is complicit with this, and it's very likely that Iran at least had some sense that there right. could be an escalation. Their exact role, it does seem to be still in dispute as to whether they had exact knowledge. Uh, and, I mean, I think the, the argument is Israel is going to have its hands full with what is likely to be a very large, difficult, and costly incursion into uh, the Gaza. And, um, you know, what exactly they're going to try to do, we don't know. I think America needs to have the back uh, of its very close ally, Israel. But it, neither Israel nor the United States wants a multi-front war for Israel. And so, you know, the right way to try to manage that situation, that does require clarity and deterrence in addition to not, you know, exaggerating the situation or not exaggerating, but, but overdoing the situation. But that's yeah, a delicate I, dance. You said the word deterrence, and Prime Minister Netanyahu had said, and we, we've heard this reported, um, that deterrence needs to be restored because right. he felt as though there is not deterrence in the Middle East right now and that America is not providing that deterrence. I, you say that we don't need a multi-front war. I completely agree with you. You think about attacks by all of these militias on U.S. forces. That doesn't happen by accident. I've lived in the Middle East for four years. Coincidences are not something really that, that exists there. So this would be the question. Why in a world, and especially in the Middle East, where clarity and deterrence is so important, what is the advantage of ambiguity? Well, look, I mean, I think the, the, the whether or not Biden should, I think it makes sense for Biden to talk about Iran and, okay. and, and make it clear that Iran is involved. I mean, they might have their own, their own diplomatic reasons. I do think we need to be very intentional about what it is we're doing. I think the reality is we do not want to get enmeshed in another large Middle Eastern war. And if we can avoid that at all possible while supporting our very close ally, Israel. And look, they're, they've already mobilized their society. They're going to have to go into Gaza in a very big and bloody way. That's going to be difficult enough. Yeah. Um, and thus far, the northern front has been relatively quiet. So, I mean, there are some calling for a dramatic expansion of the conflict. For instance, uh, you know, large-scale attacks on Iran. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think the Israelis think that's a good idea either. No. And I don't think that's no, and they, they don't want to. They don't want to fight a two-front right. war. I, I wonder though if "don't, don't, don't" is enough versus right. "we will hold the Ayatollah responsible." Well, I think that things like this, you know, freezing the six billion dollars, these very clear signals 
uh, you know, where where we move away from this kind of, you know, uh, attempt to, to, to entice or, or even appease Iran. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think what's interesting, you put this in a larger sense, and we, we'll put up the map again of where Iran's militias are and, and what they have. 1973, the Yom Kippur War, uh, Israel is surprised, America is surprised, the Soviets start moving um, weapons and personnel towards the Mediterranean, as does the United States. Nixon famously stared down the Soviets. Um, what's not on that map, but what is just north of that, uh, is Russian hypersonic missiles and also two American carrier battle groups. What what are you going to be listening for tonight in the messaging to Vladimir Putin as well? Well, look, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that we are entering into something like the world crisis. I mean, that's the phrase that Winston Churchill used. So I always feel a little sheepish kind of using Churchillian language. But I think that actually that is something what's happening. I think people can feel it. I mean, we've had the outbreak of the largest war in Europe since the Second World War. And now there's a true atrocity. You know, atrocious attacks on the Jewish people, the worst since uh, the Holocaust. And there's, you know, another shoe. I think the biggest shoe has, has yet to drop, which is Chinese action against uh, Taiwan. I'm not even mentioning North Korea. The, the Russians and the North Koreans have been doing a great deal. I think there is an, a greater del- degree of alignment of all. And I do wonder what degree of collaboration there's going on. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin spent an hour and a half alone yesterday in their meeting, I believe, in Beijing. That's just a telling. Yeah, very tell you. I guess the, the next step would be, um, as I said at the top, our enemies are listening as well. Right. And, and how how they're going to hear this speech. I think what's more important uh, to hear from President Biden is not so much an identification of a threat, as important as that is. We are pretty good at that business in Washington, D.C. What, what we need to hear from President Biden is the opposite of what he said on 60 Minutes the other day, which was, we're America, there's no problem. And that's what you're hearing from Yellen and Austin and Jake Sullivan. No, 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 we need to hear, this is a world crisis. We are going to have to move together as a country. We're going to have to revamp our defense mm. industrial base to be able to support not only the Israelis, but the Ukrainians, the, the Taiwanese, I mean, I have my views that we need to prioritize Asia as well as our our close ally, Israel. But this is we are in a crisis. And this kind of blase sanguine attitude is what I really worry about. And if he doubles down on that, I'm very concerned. Hmm. Fascinating. Points like that's the reason we have you, sir. It's good to see you. Thank you very much. Tracy Walder is here, former staff operations officer for the CIA's counterterrorism center. And Laurie Watkins, former communications consultant at Time's Up in the Women's Law Center. Nice to see both of you. Uh, I want to start with you, Tracy, because you are also an FBI agent. As, as we watch these demonstrations, if you want to call them that, these pro-Hamas rallies, are, are we to believe that they just all sort of sprouted up all of a sudden around America, that there's not some larger organizing force that is pro-Hamas? No, I, to answer your question, I do not think that they, you know, sprouted up all of a sudden. We have to remember Hamas has been a member of our terrorist watch list since 1997. They have been here in the U.S. and they have been all over the world since then. And the reality is, is yes, at these rallies, they have a right to exist and a right to protest, but they don't have the right to threaten violence and to make people feel unsafe, which, you know, what the video you showed earlier at a school I'm a Jew, my daughter's a Jew, and she would feel very uncomfortable in an environment like that. So these didn't just sprout overnight, but I do think that they feel more emboldened and more empowered, given the rhetoric, probably, that's coming from our administration, um, as well as what's going on overseas. I go back to, for so long, uh, we have heard you must call out every uh, aggression, every microaggression must be dealt with immediately. Uh, how how is this happening and there is not more calls for democrats to come out and call this what it is and, and not continue to create this moral equivalence that that is dithering 
So I guess to answer that question, um, you know, I think that that is highly problematic. Look, folks learn from the administration and from our leaders in power. And you're right. It's so interesting, obviously, working at CIA in the counterterrorism center just after September 11th, really the rhetoric was very united. Um, and that's not what we're seeing here. And that is highly problematic because it is marginalizing a section of the population when you have a party that's basically split in terms of how we should deal with this. And I do think, I fully agree, but I don't think it's going to happen, that the president does need to come out tonight and say Iran's name. I think it's, it's really, really important um, in terms of really moving our policy forward in terms of what we're doing in the Middle East. I hear you. I'm, I'm going to check with the control room to see if we have Lori's mic because it seemed as though we weren't able to hear her for a second. Yeah, I'm here. Um, oh, good, good. Okay. Um, I, I want to play for you Rashida Tlaib. Um, actually, scratch it for a second. I want to play for you, Senator Von Holland. There was a resolution put forth on the Senate floor to condemn pro Hamas marches on college campuses. Democratic Senator uh, from Delaware uh, responded. Take a listen. There are student groups that may have legitimate concerns, for example, about, just a minute, legitimate concerns about the loss of innocent They're civilian life in Gaza. Resolution. Van Holland of Maryland there. Lori, why is it so difficult to say pro-Hamas marches calling for the destruction of the state of Israel is wrong, full stop, no moral equivalency? I agree with you. Pro-Hamas rallies, they're very dangerous, but I don't think that's what a lot of those folks that went to the Capitol and were demonstrating yesterday, and again, using their First Amendment rights, as my fellow panelists said. Just because somebody is supporting Palestine does not mean they are supporting Hamas. I understand that. Hold on. Hold on. A, a thousand Jews were just slaughtered, okay? I, I understand your point. There is a difference. It's a slight distinction, but fine. Okay, but chanting from the river to the sea as those kids were in high school in San Francisco, that that's not pro-Palestine. That's pro-slaughter. There, there, and I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm so curious as to why President Biden has such a hard time saying we have seen these terrible and hateful reactions to this. We've seen people with vile anti-Semitic reaction in the streets of America. And that is wrong. Full stop. Why? Why does he feel the need every time to just lump all hate together? I don't think he's lumping all hate together. And from the remarks that I saw, and I know you watched the other day as well, he absolutely unequivocally said that there is no room for hate. There is no room for demonstrations and producing more disinformation and hate and violence, especially in this country. He was then seeing firsthand all of the protests going around during his remarks uh, there along the Gaza border, uh, there along the Gaza Strip, uh, people throwing rockets, people throwing firebombs, etc. None of that should be tolerated. And the president did call that out. And I'm sure that in his remarks tonight, he will be more strong in his words because we do not want those kinds of atrocities feeding over and bleeding over here into the communities of the United States, which unfortunately we did see a man who took out and killed yeah, and no, murdered I, I, brutally I, I, I know, a six-year-old I know the story out of Chicago. Okay, come on. I know, I know the story out of Chicago. It was sort of a deranged weirdo. It, it's hard to really have an equivalency here. But I, Tracy, I want to get you in this last issue. Um, State Department issued a general travel warning for Americans take caution, increase tensions wherever they might be. Uh, look, if I'm an American abroad, don't I need to hear that the, the chance of fundamental Muslim, fundamentalist Islam terrorists carrying out atrocities uh, is increased? There's an increased chatter among Muslim terror groups. I, 
you were with the FBI and CIA. Is there a reason to just make a sort of blanket, like, be careful warning? Yes, we typically do that after there's been kind of large scale attacks like this, where the U where the U.S. has really been central to this. We did this shortly after 9-11. We also did this prior to going into the Iraq war. I don't know if folks remember that. Um, that was interesting for me uh, because I had gone to the U.N. then and we were really marginalized um, because people were just anti-American, not people within America, but people outside of America. And so what they're doing by making those blanket sort of travel advisories is basically saying, hey, America, right now there's a lot of tension as your guest prior um, had mentioned, we're kind of at this weird crisis in the world. And there is a lot of instability around how people are viewing Americans and mm. the lens they're viewing us with. And so yeah. they are doing that out of an abundance of caution. Scary times. Ladies, thank you both. We appreciate it. Elbridge sitting here as well. Thank you. Next, a front runner for president. He's on trial for fraud. He's called Hezbollah terrorist smart and rises in the polls. Why attacks on Donald Trump keep making him stronger. New polling on that. Plus, breaking news. There will not be a third vote for Speaker tonight. Republicans in Congress keep getting worse. Dysfunction knows no ends. Why they can't get their house in order. And this conference is broken because Republicans worked with Democrats and put us here. By pictures of Capitol Hill, there will not be a vote tonight for House Speaker. If it happens tomorrow, Jim Jordan is where doing the nose count will almost certainly lose. And Democrats are loving every second of this. MSNBC now gleefully displays a clock showing how long it's been since Republicans voted out their last speaker. It's the first time in American history a party has done that. With us now, Congressman Kevin Kiley. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. Um, I get I get that there was no plan when you guys ousted Kevin McCarthy, but uh, it's been two weeks. Isn't it about time? Well, I didn't do that. I was very much against it. It was a coalition of Democrats and Republicans uh, who ended up, uh, you know, grounding uh, the House of Representatives to a halt. And uh, it's absolutely not good for uh, the House, for the Congress, uh, for the country. And, you know, folks across uh, America uh, are rightfully uh, concerned about the gridlock that has characterized Washington, D.C. for a long, long time. And this is just the ultimate example of that, where the House has ground to a halt. Uh, so we need to get uh, the House up and running again uh, as soon as possible, immediately, because we have really, really important things to work on. I mean, we have our uh, one of our closest allies, most important allies in the world, Israel, uh, that very much needs uh, our help uh, and our support. We have uh, government funding going to run out in about a month. And if we don't get funding for the government, then, uh, you know, our military service members are going to have to miss paychecks. And so we absolutely need to get back to work. And uh, I'm doing everything in my power to make that happen. No, I, I hear you. And I, I, I can't imagine Republicans helping out Nancy Pelosi if she'd had a leadership crisis. So I, I, I think it's a little rich to continue to blame Democrats on that. But neither here nor there. Uh, Jordan was opposed by 22 Republicans, two more than he lost his first round of voting. Seems like it's about 20 um, right now. Um, one thing that has been different about this fight for House Speaker has been the public arm twisting uh, and very private sort of bullying, if you will, of House members, um, in, in death threats to uh, Ken Buck, and then uh, others who have, have had really difficult things happen to them. I'm wondering if you think that was a mistake and how do you come back from that? How does Jim Jordan come back and gain trust of people who he had people bully? 
Well, the threats are absolutely uh, horrifying, and I know that there's no member uh, of our conference in the House that is supportive of that in any way, uh, shape, or form. And uh, so I, along with everyone else, have called for uh, anyone doing anything like that to, uh, to cut it out. It is absolutely no place uh, in our politics. Yeah, but, um, you, but you know, I, I'll I, read I the strategy. The death threats are bad, but you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, sir? That there's been a lot of arm twisting member to member. Uh, about things. And I don't know how the Republican caucus hopes it's going to keep itself together uh, has any chance when that kind of behavior exists from fellow congressman to fellow congressman. Well, you know, the principle that has governed the selection of the speaker for a long time has been you follow what the majority of the majority wants. That's how the Republicans have done it. That's how the Democrats have done it. That's what Pelosi herself just said recently, is it's a decision uh, for the majority of the majority. So uh, I think the path forward is we really need to kind of return to that principle. And anyone who can get uh, the backing of the majority of the conference, uh, they should be the one that everyone then consolidates around for speaker. But if that doesn't happen, which, you know, we've departed from that principle, I do think there's another solution for the short term, is that we already have a speaker pro tem in Patrick McHenry, who's uh, in place. And I've read the rule uh, very carefully that uh, resulted in his elevation to Speaker Pro Tem. And I believe he does have uh, a certain authority uh, to resume legislative business. And so if our conference isn't able to, and you know, the House isn't able to elect a full-time Speaker very soon, I think that uh, it will be uh, prudent uh, for Mr. McHenry, who, by the way, has done an outstanding job and has brought a, uh, a measure of, of poise and restraint uh, that I think has been very much needed uh, during these uncertain times. But I think it will be appropriate for him uh, to, on a limited basis, get things moving in the House again. Well, uh, the, the backup plan, I guess, is still alive and well. We'd heard it, uh, it died earlier. But, uh, Congressman, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, the one person we haven't heard from about the Speaker's fight, very little bit we heard from, but not much, is Donald Trump, the de facto leader of the Republican Party. He's a little busy these days in New York with his civil fraud trial. He has a few more trials coming up. But new polling shows him with the single biggest margin in the Republican primary that he has ever had. He's now 45 points ahead of Ron DeSantis. New polling from Morning Consult shows Trump winning in a number of key swing states by a combined four points. That's before his former lawyer, Sidney Powell, will testify against him in the Georgia election case she pleaded guilty today. Sure, Michael Singleton is here, political consultant of many campaigns. And I don't know. Uh, should we be surprised at all? No, we shouldn't be surprised. We've been talking about this for several months now, and I think when you take into consideration inflation, you take into consideration immigration, which is a serious yeah. uh, problem, that even Democratic mayors and governors are now telling the administration they need to do more on. And now, in addition to the Ukraine-Russia proxy conflict that we've entered in Leland, we now have the issue of Hamas and Israel. And I think you're also seeing a rising, a concerning rising number of Americans really at least adopt some anti-Semitic light rhetoric at best. And that's being generous. I, I was going to say, you're being very, being you're generous. far more generous than I've been. But let me just, let me give you a hypothesis sure. here. Uh, the, the swing state polling is stunning, right? Mm -hmm. That all of a sudden you've got Donald Trump up four points in, in places that, that Joe Biden won. In uh, the White House should be concerned. Yeah. A lot of the, if you look down in the polling, it's because of Bidenomics. Yep. A lot of people saying that they just don't believe in it. Not they working. want to change, right? What's happened, though, over the past two and a half weeks is that Donald Trump has not been in the news. He's not yeah. been talking. Uh, he's made some comments about Hezbollah, but he hasn't been in the news because everybody's been covering real news like war in the Middle East yeah. and whether or not we're going to go to war with Iran. Should Republicans be worried that when the news cycle eventually shifts and all of a sudden the, the media focus goes back to Donald Trump, the same thing that will happen yeah. had that happens every time. 
Yeah. It's very popular in the Republican Party, and his poll numbers with swing voters go down. Well, that is a big worry, Leland. And I have to be honest, I am concerned about some of the trials that the former president is facing. Uh, you look at March, early March, I believe the first trial, the D.C. case uh, pertaining to January 6th, it's going to be in the news for the duration of, what, 8, 9, 10, 12 weeks. That is going to have a sway on public opinion. You look at what's going on in Georgia right now with Sidney Powell, once that starts, what is she going to say to implement the former president and alleged criminal behavior? All of those things are going to have an impact on swing voters and those swing states that we talked about. And, and the issue, I would argue, and I'll close here, is do you run the risk of turning out voters for Biden who so far are saying, you know what, I'm just going to stay home, I'm not happy. If you do, Republicans will lose. All right, well, that, that is a fairly uh, direct statement. Uh, what do you make... The one thing that Sidney Powell's testimony is going to be different than all the other trials could be on camera. Yeah. Um, no one has really ever associated Sidney Powell with credibility. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm trying to figure out if you're the prosecutor down there, and, and look, the, you have to, uh, reasonable people can agree this is a concerted effort to go after Donald Trump yeah. um, by the, the DA in Georgia and by others. Um, how much do you have to sort of overall worry that this is going to all backfire? It depends on what she says, one. I think, too, it also depends on how many other individuals close to the former president they can flip. And when you're 60, 70 years old and you're looking at five to 20 years in prison, the case of Sidney Powell, more than likely, yeah. if you're smart, your lawyers are going to tell you you need to flip. And so those things, those things are going to matter. I mean, these are people who were advising the former president. Yeah. Whether, you, I... whether you look at this through the political lens or, or not, Leland, what matters ultimately is how do swing voters perceive this? The individuals that are going to flip a state like Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, where you're talking about a difference of eight to 15, 20,000 votes, those voters matter a lot. And I think if you're a Republican right now, you're, you're still sort of concerned yeah, about whether or not we can maintain the White House. Think about the House. Think about the look, Senate. We've, we've I mean, heard there's over, a lot to consider. Here. Over and over again, we've seen that when Donald Trump is out of the news, those voters start to like him because they, they like do. his policies. When he's in the news and they have to listen to him, they don't. Because he tweets crazy stuff and he says crazy things. My thing is, Mr. President, just don't say anything. Do what you're oh, legal good luck. Good luck. And let the rest of us good do the political good work. Good luck. Coming up next, I think we can all agree it would be good if scenes like this stopped from happening. What if you find the parents? A novel approach to clean up America's streets that could start in Chicago when we come back. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. That was a video from this past weekend in Chicago where hundreds of teens destroyed cars and then dragged race on the streets. They tried to box in a Tesla, as you can see, and the driver had to make an escape. This is far from the first incident, of course. Youth violence in Chicago is on the rise. Shootings involving youth 17 years or younger, up 50% since 2019. 
90% of those kids are not enrolled in school. 8% were arrested for homicides, 9% for shootings, 32% for robberies. And now Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez wants to make parents responsible for kids' unruly behavior. All right, uh, Alderman, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you uh, for being with us. So, as I understand it, it's what, $5,000? Is it if your kid's involved in a crime or what? No, the Municipal Code of Chicago already deals with crimes committed by minors, and it's been relatively weakly enforced and poorly administered. I want to change that, and I want to start by upping the fines, hitting parents where it hurts, as well as requiring them to go to family counseling so that we can start changing their behavior, being blissfully unaware of what their kids are doing on the streets of the city of Chicago. We have seen scenes like this before, time and time again, where our youth are out at 2, 3 in the morning, by the hundreds, taking over intersections, causing mayhem and chaos everywhere they go. And it's time that parents realize that you can't sit on the couch or in your bedroom unaware where your kids are while they're destroying the city. We have precedent for it. We have the opportunity to move forward. And I think now we are finally at that point where we've our residents are saying enough. Mm. Now look, this this kind of debate goes all the way back, right, about what parents' roles are and uh, whether you have uh, fatherless households. Uh, single biggest indicator for any race, whether you're going to end up in jail or not, uh, is whether you had a, a father in the household or not. Uh, Boys in the Hood movie dealt with this all the way back in 1991. Take a listen. You know, Trey, you may think I'm being hard on you right now, but I'm not. What I'm doing is I'm trying to teach you how to be responsible. It's like your little friends across the street, they don't have anybody to show them how to do that. They don't. You're going to see how they end up, too. You're a prince, you know that? Yeah. You're the prince. I'm the king. (laughs) To be fair, if parents are a single mom with a couple of kids working a a job or two jobs as high as the cost of living is in Chicago right now, um... How, how are they going to be that responsible for their kids? They go to bed or they're out working and the kid leaves the house at 15, 14, 15, 16 years old? What do you do? No, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. My parents were divorced when I was two, but somehow they managed to both keep their eye on me, whether I was at my dad's house or my mom's house. You know, I, I, I refuse to believe that simply because you may be poor, that you are unable to love your kids enough to be attentive to what they are doing, to whom they are hanging out with, and to what they do when you go to sleep. I refuse to believe that that is a a, a real excuse if parents are held to a standard. The problem we really have, Leland, is that parents don't know how to be parents anymore. We've seen where that those family values have been so watered down generation to generation that they don't know how to be good parents. They think that sharing in their children's TikTok fame somehow makes them a good parent. This conversation that we have begun here in the city of Chicago and has gone nationwide on shows like yours have sparked a conversation that is long, long overdue on what we need to do to make parents accountable for the babies that they have created. You know, Alderman, I I respect you being willing to talk about these issues because not many are, really. And it's it's a great point. And then you think about uh, the kids who we see in those videos. Some of them already are parents. Some are going to, most of them are going to grow up to be parents. Um, and uh, the, the trend continues unless you got parents like yours who are willing to, to step up. Good to see you, sir. Thank you. Coming Thank up you. next, too fat to serve. The military's growing obesity problem. What are we going to do? 
It's hardly possible to be all you can be in the Army anymore. A new study finds nearly 70% of active service members are overweight. Huge jump, 21% in 2022, 10% in 2012. And obviously it comes in the middle of a massive recruiting crisis that we've told you about. Here now, retired Marine Matt Cipolla. Matt, it's good to see you. Um, I can't quite figure this out. What is it? Obesity is the easiest form to see lack of discipline, and that comes from the top. In other words, these guys are not taking advantage of the standards that were set before them from veterans that served. And we serve with probably there's a couple of veterans behind me right now. I mean, my business partners. The way you get ahead and raise standards is association with people who want more and have more. we got to defend our country, and this is a sad reality where the American military is right now is obese. Yeah, look, I, and look, you don't mean any disrespect to people who are willing to sign up to try and defend our country, but you look at a lot of these recruits now um, who the idea of them being out on a battlefield and trying to fight and then take care of their wounded comrade is un- right. unthinkable. Right. I mean, that just it just this is not a, an option at this point for these folks. Um, and we're seeing the lax, the standards getting laxer and laxer and laxer to meet the recruiting goals. Is it as simple as if we just raised pay for the military, then all of a sudden things would get better? I think the source is really coming from a do Americans love Americans anymore? I mean, there's such a drop in American patriotism today. There's such narrative on social media in conversation with other people about how how poor it is in America and how rough it is in America. People don't want to serve in the military. And due to lack of patriotism is because people realize how much are not taking care of veterans post-military service. And so that's not encouraging a lot of people to say, you know, a great career path would be to serve our country, do this, do that. You know, what is it, Army? Be all you can be. I was in the Marine Corps. We got Army over here. got Marines over here uh, behind me. A friend here said, it's not be all you can be. It's now eat all you can eat. I mean, what's going on? And so I think we, we got to get back to the fundamentals of we are serving our country, a country that we love, that we call home. doesn't matter if you're white, you're black, you're brown. This is the red, white, and blue right here. And that patriotism is lost right now in America. Yeah, it certainly seems to be young adults proud to be American. Share of young adults who say they're extremely proud to be America. American. Uh, it was low, right? It was in the in the 40s uh, in 2015. Now now it's down to just 18 percent. Um, look, do uh, you think this has anything to do with, in, uh, just real quick, that typically it is poor Americans, it's rural Americans who sign up uh, to be in the military? And we've, and we've seen, uh, especially over COVID, that rural Americans, poor Americans have gotten hit the most when it comes to uh, access to good food and to exercise and everything else. Yes, I mean, the the person in the multicultural community that's recruited into the military, predominantly, especially in the enlisted ranks, not the officer ranks, are usually on your middle to lower income demographics, whether it be black, brown demographic. But that doesn't mean that once they get in the military, they go through boot camp. After that, though, they got to still stay in shape. You're getting boot camp shape, you graduate boot camp, you're in shape, you pass the physical fitness standards, you're in shape. So what's going on after they hit the force, after they hit the fleet marine force, after they hit the regular army, whether branch of service that they're serving, what is going on after that? And I know there's a lot of jobs today that there's not a lot of forward fighting uh, jobs and MOSs. It's more you know, a lot of technology based, but it doesn't mean that America should not be taken care of by the number one job of our military, which is to fight and right. win wars. And we need to get yeah, back to and, that. And, and, and uh, look, we're, we're about to hear from President Biden uh, in, in terms of where uh, our men and women are on on duty 
right now, and people are shooting at him, namely the Iranians. Uh, all right, Matt, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, live pictures of the White House now, just about nine minutes ahead of President Biden's second Oval Office address of his presidency, the first on a foreign policy crisis when we come back. Live pictures of the White House. President Biden's going to address the country in a couple of minutes. He's expected to announce a major aid package. He's going to tie Israel and Ukrainian aid together. This is going to be the question. What doesn't he say? Does he talk about Iran? Does he name and shame them? Does he talk about anti-Semitism or does he both sides it? Chris Cuomo will have our coverage of the speech. Joins us now from New York. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, those are concerns. Leland, uh, not my central one. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk after this speech tonight, frankly, that doesn't matter. Uh, how did the president come off? How did he sound? How competent is he? Did his language and cadence make sense? Does he seem coherent? Uh, this is all, all right, we're nonsense uh, and uh, fuel for uh, division. And you have to hear it as such. And it, look, you're going to hear some of it on this show. Uh, and you'll hear a lot of it tomorrow. My take, my advice is different, okay? Look, you judge the president any way you want. You have an election upcoming. So, uh, you know, all is fair in an election. However, I don't really care what he says about Iran or anything. I want to get a sense that this president and his administration is making plans and that they're making contingency plans for what happens if this happens in the Middle East. And here's why. It's not Ukraine, okay? Ukraine has domino effect implications as well, no question. And I have uh, reported from there multiple times and to you here many, many times about why I think it is worth whatever treasure we're spending to have them basically as a proxy for NATO to hold Russia back as long as they can. Better than us having boots on the ground. This country certainly has fatigue of spilling blood. The Middle East is different. And I want to spend the time between now and when the president speaks. We believe President Biden is going to come out just as it clicks past 8 o'clock. And I wanted to start a little early tonight so I could set the table before the speech. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. But we also have uh, the latest on the Georgia manhunt. Uh, dog, uh, the bounty hunter is down there now. There's some developments. I want to give you that as well. But... The Middle East is different, okay? I don't care that this is a second Oval Office address. I don't care. All of that is noise, okay? It's nonsense. It's, it's meaningless detail. Are they planning? The Middle East is different, and, and here's why. And I, I made some notes on it for you tonight, okay? What they have to look at here is what is going to happen next. The hostages, we've lost our focus on them. All this arguing over the hospital bombing and who did it and who didn't do it and what it means. And is Israel the same as Hamas and all this other absurdity that is going on here that is part of our poison politics? We're missing the main point. The hostages, they are American. If they are killed, then what? What does America do? We've never had a situation like this before. If Israel goes in deep to get the hostages and to root out Hamas, 
What does that look like? There's zero chance that they don't kill thousands.